Hello, my name is Andrew Skipper. I'm head of the Africa practice at Hogan Lovells, and I've got wide-ranging Africa experience from business to art and culture. I'm co-vice chair of the Smithsonian National Museum of African Art, and recently became co-chair of the UK government's Africa Investors Group. I've been having conversations with some of Africa's top business minds and investors alongside key cultural influencers, people who are deeply committed to building on the continent and spreading the word and the vision. They're certainly pulling no punches about the problems, but they're also spotting enormous opportunities. And today I'm delighted to say that we're able to turn to Adebola Williams, a leading Nigerian influencer, founder of Red Media and the man with the golden touch, as described by Ghanaian President Nana Akofu-Adu. Adibola is considered a pioneer of the intersection of media, democracy and social change, and he's been profiled in Forbes and on CNN. He's passionate about working with Africa's youth and mobilising through grassroots organisations to tackling pressing issues such as the impact of COVID-19 and digitalisation on the continent. He's also a great friend and somebody I always turn to when I want to be current. So. Welcome, Adebola. I missed you because of the wretched COVID. I've missed you in London recently, and it seems we're destined only to talk over the remote wires. But it's a pleasure to talk to you again. So, um, and I have in my hand uh, my red hat, which um, aligns <laughs> us both. Welcome. Thank you, Andrew. It's good to catch up again after after such a long time. Um, yeah. And I think it's uh, you know it, it's not strange that we're having to do a lot of things via mobile uh, and the internet because if there is one thing that COVID-19 showed the world, it was that we needed to accelerate into an imminent future. And so the future is here and we just need to leave it. In actual fact, it is even more effective and efficient to do these things via phone, via video. And uh, I've always been a video caller, even though it annoys my friends. So now I have license to call everyone on FaceTime at 5 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, and I know you have at least three phones on you at all times, even when you're in the middle of a panel, if I recall it right. But as somebody who loves, <laughs> but you do love being in different places. So the last few months must have been a little bit challenging for you. So have you spent your time, and what what have you actually been focusing on this time? Because this is, as you say, your time. Interesting. So I spent the past six months in the thick of uh, the lockdown from March to about uh, September, but mostly first from March to about July uh, in Lagos. Uh, you know, uh, for once, I, Lagos finally became my base. And I spent that time helping our clients in our consulting company to navigate the pandemic. Many of them were afraid of their bottom lines, what would happen to their businesses, their customers. And we as a media company, we have just recently evolved into a full one-stop shop consulting for business development using media as a tool so you think mckinsey but think mckinsey for the streets using pure consumer knowledge and media as a tool and so we deployed all of that energy and all of that insight into helping our clients navigate you know this very scary period and we found that while many agencies were being cut off or being dropped off or their retainers being cut we were kept on in actual fact we even got increases, you know, in our services for our clients. And it was quite um, um, an interesting turn. You know, we also were able to uh, help the country, uh, Nigeria, and eventually Africa with some COVID-19 interventions, also using the media as a tool. Uh, one of the platforms we created was BeatingCorona.Africa, where we connected 
actors, people who are providing resources and help for COVID-19 with people who needed it using the internet as a platform and then created a lot of TVCs, uh, public service announcements, <clears throat> excuse me, in partnership with the United Nations and the Disease Control Center in Nigeria to also educate Nigerians around the country, you know, on, on how to navigate that time. So it was quite uh, a useful time. And then personally, you know, um, out of man, many things, one of the most exciting things I got to do for myself was I got back on my fitness routine. So I was exercising uh-huh. five times a day. I was running, you know, five times a day. I went from two kilometers in March to about 15 kilometers uh, by, by July. You know, and I was doing that five every, times a day. Sounds five, five, that sorry, sounds five times a week. <laughs> that sounds five, five times, times a day. But the the um the data you've been getting on the ground is is similar to I guess to because you've been said to influence three elections on the African continent. So, is the data you're getting to support that um, the same as you're using now? And are the issues you faced then getting any better? Um, looking at elections and the, the the support you've given to Nigeria as a country, how can how can how can things be improved in in that context? Well, if you talk about the data we've used in working in elections, then I think that's one question. The, I think there's another question you're trying to ask, but it's not clear to me yet. So I'll answer the first <laughs> one, uh, which is yeah. you know the data for working in elections hasn't changed because for us we work with the pulse of the nation. So before we go into any election at any point in time, the first thing we do is to understand where the people are. If you compare this to a product, you have a a, a soft drink and you need the people to buy that soft drink. You need to first understand what is their mindset, their mind space, how much is in their pocket, what economic position are they in to be able to afford that drink you're selling. So our candidates are like products. And after doing a thorough understanding of the customers who will buy our candidate with their votes. Then we come up with a strategic communication plan to be able to engage those customers and connect them to the product, which is the candidate, you know, so, and that doesn't change. When platforms come, platforms go, tools come, tools change. What is consistent <clears throat> is people and people and their aspirations also change. But once you focus on the people, you will get to know the aspirations and then you can devise the plans and the tools that you need to be able to connect them to your product. That's, that's really interesting. And the, I think the second part of my question, follow, you, you probably already are answered, but I'm just wondering whether the elections we were talking about were a few years ago now. Are you, are you looking at current elections, whether in Africa or elsewhere, and seeing the same sort of issues arising? Or do you, and do you think it's just getting more important to do what you're doing or do you think that there's uh, there's other influences at play now it continues to be important to do the work we do uh we, we came into this uh, uh business first because we wanted the democracy to flourish we we wanted to be able to give people who aspire to run for office a chance regardless of what you know uh, the circumstances might look in a continent like Africa, where, you know, many things are still, you know, tied to heavy establishments of political structure, you know. So in Nigeria in 2011, uh, we had worked with, you know, a, a president who had stumbled in because his principal had passed away. And in running in 2011, it looked almost impossible for him to win. You know, he had come from a minority part of the country, you know, but we were able to join forces with other you know, uh, people on his team, and he won. In 2015, we had worked for a man who had run three times, you know, and had not been successful. 
you know, and then uh, uh, in 2015, we were able to turn, turn that around. In 2019, you know, we had also worked for two new candidates who was their first time, you know, in running for presidency in Nigeria. And the goal for those candidates was not to necessarily win in 2015, uh, 2019, but to begin to do the building blocks for the future. And we dare say that those two candidates were the two most prominent candidates in that election who were independents, you know, from the outside of the political establishment uh, uh, space. You know, so at every point in time, you know, we want democracy to flourish. And we've done the same thing in Ghana, in Senegal, and in a number of other countries that we're currently, you know, working. But we also do not really discuss our election work uh, until after. I think we, it was in Nigeria in 2015, you know, that it kind of happened concurrently. But we also try not to, you know, be the focus, the focal point. You know, uh, just let our candidates, you know, just, just get all the attention. So yeah, yeah, um, and so um, uh, well, that's so. So what you're saying, so it's it's an ongoing process. But changing the subject, yes. tell me a bit about your role as um, genuine global champion. Um, what you're very focused on youth, and so why is that so important to you? And what do you think the impact you can make is now and in the future doing this sort of because all my life, I have tried to get into rooms, get on tables to be a voice for young people all my life. Mm. I remember since I was <clears throat> four, 13 and even younger when I was eight. And all the platforms that myself and my partners, and my business partner and other people we've collaborated with over the years have built, have all been to give a voice, to give, you know, that, 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 that space. I remember uh, two, just, just yesterday, I stumbled on a tweet by 22-year-old Hassana Meina in the northern part of Nigeria, who had just won the prize for activism in our 15-year-old platform, The Future Awards Africa, which every year has unveiled young people who are doing amazing work, using them as strong, positive images to inspire other young people. And we have successfully in 15 years created a critical mass of thinkers, doers, and change makers in Nigeria and across the continent. Hassana tweeted yesterday when the award was tweeted to her on Twitter. She said, I feel so seen. I feel so seen. I can never believe this. I feel so seen. That struck my heart because that is what I've tried to do all my life. The young people have to be seen. They have to be heard. And so connecting this to genuine, I'm honored to be a global champion and I'll be on the Leaders Council for Genu because it's giving me an opportunity to also continue my advocacy with leaders, presidents, people who actually make decisions in nations who determine the future of women, the future of children, the future of young people, to tell them the pulse of young people and hold them to account. If there is one quote you want to take from me from this question you've asked me is that leaders around the world need to listen to young people. Listen to them. Enable them. Put them in the center of execution from what you've gathered from them, the data you've gathered from them. Because you cannot design a future that you will not be a part of. So if this is their future, listen to them. Bring them into rooms. Hear what they see in the future. And then put them in the driving seat to execute that future and create a future that would also benefit your own children because your children are actually closer to them in age, you know, than, than yourself. And finally, you know, is that in the NSAS situation that happened recently, I had many older people, governors, CEOs, telling me, wow, 
you know, my child is not talking to me. You know, my child doesn't, you know, they're, they're almost insulting me. You know, I say, yes, because you're creating a future that doesn't factor them in. So people need to listen to young people. And that is the opportunity that Jenny has created for people like myself, Ilwad, and my colleagues uh, in speaking truth to power. I think that's a fantastic um, way of putting it. I'm, I have three daughters currently setting up their own businesses, which is fantastic. And I listen and learn all the time because it's much more current than I am at the moment, but it helps me and I hopefully occasionally I can help them. But moving, I mean, some of the issues we're facing now with social media as well, which is, which is very powerful in a way, but it's got a power to connect. It's very youthful. It's uplifting. It educates. But at the same time, when you look at it, it's said to be a, a catalyst for fake news and for division. What are you seeing good and bad? And, and how, would you, how would you change that? What would you change if you could to make it all good, as it were? Hmm. You know, before social media, there was fake news. I mean, I grew up in, of in course. the space where uh, we had this very salacious papers in Nigeria uh, and Comium City people, just like people. And those magazines, you know, in the UK as well, you know, people have always, you know, gossiped, people have, have always misconstrued actions. You know, I, I find that quite often, human, many people do not have truth, so they are quick to accuse others without proof. And so social media is just an expression of the fact that more people have access to now share their opinions. And so, you know, it, it's a catch to two, you know, on one side, it, it's enabled the whole continent. It's enabled the world. One of the winners of COVID-19 is Jeff Bezos. And his business is built on, you know, the real estate on the internet. People who are using tech powerfully. And that is, you know, where social media also, you know, is categorized. So social media surely has its blessings. You know, but it does have its downsides. And I think that people need to just begin to activate the laws that guide, you know, living in any society. So if someone, you know, accuses you wrongly on social media, take them to court. You don't need a special bail or anything special. There are already, you know, laws against libel, defamation, you know, and things like that. But I also always continue to implore people, do not, you know, mess up this good thing. People must be responsible organizations, individuals, every one of us should join in the advocacy of preaching a responsible use of social media. Let us talk to each other human to human, you know, and put the consciousness of responsibility on one another. But I think social media has been a blessing, has activated opportunities, you know, has given people a voice, giving people a home, sense of belonging, organization. Uh, it has more good that outweighs the negative. In terms of social media, clearly you're saying it's a good thing and it needs to be exercised responsibly. How have you seen that in the work you've been doing in Africa with COVID? I mean, we, we've used social media heavily um, in, in educating yeah. Nigerians, educating the continent. Um, I mentioned earlier that we built a platform um, between Corona and Africa, uh, which was a website, but also you know, it fed up a lot on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, so we created loads of videos and social media helped us share, you know, those videos. Uh, we had so many interventions to connect Nigerians with. People were connecting, you know, those in need, you know, with interventions via Twitter, via Instagram. In some cases, it wasn't even the recipient of the support. It was just that someone in, you know, uh, 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 a local government 
connects to the internet, sees the opportunities, and it connects and collects the resources, the support, uh, the palliative, and it takes it to their community. So everyone in the community did not need to be on Twitter. One person could be on Twitter and then come collect palliatives and take, you know, to his community. So yeah. it was a big, no, big connection point. But most importantly, it helped with education. You know, we had many videos in local languages and the, the celebrities were able to put them up and they had 100,000 views, 1 million views, 200,000 views, you know, and people were sharing those videos. And WhatsApp is so powerful here. So when videos are going around on social media, it moves into WhatsApp. So social media has also become a place where people get information. You know, and all that time we used it to share information on COVID-19. People harvested information from our Twitter feed and they began to travel on WhatsApp, went on to Facebook. So it's, it was, was useful in disseminating information, in being a repository of information, in connecting people to resources. You know, it was, was very useful. One of the things I've been talking to a number of the people on these podcasts, like Lucy Quist and others, is around Africa's brand and the perception of Africa in the in the wider world, and the need actually to give a more positive image of the continent based on a positive reality. And this is um, absolutely your space, I guess. Um, are they right that the that brand Africa is underplayed? And if so, what what is your recipe for uh, for changing that? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that Africa has suffered, you know, a single story for a long time. Um, but I, I also think that beyond the single story, this is very sensitive, Andrew, uh, but I have to say it, um, Africa has also suffered a consistent brainwashing. Um, Africa has suffered a consistent colonization and recolonization over and over again with the media as a powerful tool. And so you, 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 you see a people who, you know, would look down upon the things that they have and look out of the window for the things that, you know, have been made to look superior on the other no, side. Yeah. Um, you know, and so it, it's a constant struggle for me, Andrew. And that is why every time you meet me, I'm wearing, you know, my Nigerian outfit. You know, I'm dressed, you know, fully. I do not want any ambiguity. I want you to hear me. You know, hopefully I sound smart. Hopefully, I will make a good presentation in that boardroom and give you great ideas to help move your business yeah. forward. But I do not want any ambiguity. So I stand on the stage and I'm delivering a speech for President Barack Obama. But I do not want anyone in the room, when he gives me a standing ovation, to say, oh, he's um, Jamaican, Caribbean. No, 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 no. I'm from Nigeria. That same country you hear about, that's where I'm from. And that's what I carry around. I understand the blessings and the burden of where I'm from. And so what I've done personally and what my organization has done over the years is to constantly share positive stories about the people. And I take it as a responsibility to share you know, the best self, put my best foot forward. The people of any nation are the stories of that nation. And that is why we as an organization focus on telling the stories of the people. Now, because for so long, Africans have then you know, submitted themselves to an idea that anything that comes out of the continent is better than the continent, there is a deeper struggle, a deeper battle that the Nigerian, Ghanaian, Kenyan, African media have to do in rebalancing our thinking towards ourselves and what we own. Many times, you know, the drugs and things that have been made around the world are from herbs. We have herbs in Nigeria. We have herbs in Ghana. We have, you know, many things naturally. It's as silly as Ghana and Ivory Coast producing the largest amount of cocoa for the world, 
but Switzerland yeah. being celebrated for being the, the chocolate heaven. <laughs> yep. You know, it's yeah, as yeah. silly as Nigeria okay. owning crude but buying petrol from somewhere else. It doesn't make sense. So we need to fix that, you know, on one hand. And on the other hand, yes. every Nigerian, every Rwandan, Ugandan, South African must take the responsibility to every day tell positive stories about their continent. And then African leaders, we, we young people on the continent, you know, must invest in media, in African media, to correct these negative stereotypes, not by even necessarily fighting anybody, but just by telling our stories, celebrating our wins, our innovation, our invention. Nigerians are great all around the world. And Nigerian is currently being appointed by Joe Biden in his new cabinet. You know, a Nigerian from the western part of our country. Nigerians are all over Facebook, Google, Amazon, in high positions. We do well around the world. So more of these stories must be told. Nigerians in Nigeria are doing amazing work. Moabudu, Tarado Toye, you know, Adao Sakwe, Inyaboyeji, Chudejinawo, several of them doing amazing work. We must make an effort to tell the stories of our people. I mean, I don't know who's gotten in, in the space of 18 months, six doctorates or, or thereabout that Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie received, you know, within the last two years, have at least five doctorates in, in prestigious universities in Nigeria. The same way Wale Shonka has done it many years ago, Chino Achebe. We have greats here, not just the, 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 his, the, the ones in history, but even young people everyday Nigerians. But I think that's absolutely... So it's... it's, it's I mean, that's what I was wanting to hear it's the it's the recipe is being positive about africans being positive about themselves and driving and enforcing that message around the world as well as the other way around so if you just to finish really if you've got one message um for your younger for the younger audiences you listen to to inspire them to create what i think the african union has called the new paradigm of what africa's all about going forward what would that message be we need to as young Africans, change the mindset from consumers to creators. Uh, young people on the continent need to stop waiting for platforms and spaces to be created for them. They need to move and create those spaces. They need to break down the doors, tear the tables. They need to take their chairs into those rooms and sit at the table. They need to be bolder, more courageous to go and make the demands Power would never be served a la carte. It's a buffet with a long queue and everyone is strategizing how to get to the front. I think young people on the continent need to come together, be more united. I find that quite often the older people can be more united in interest and they will go in there and share, you know, the spoils of the war. But young Africans might need to also find common grounds, more common grounds, form relationships across lines, even with people who are on the other side. Because if you want to take down the monster you want to take down, you need the strength and the muscle. As a young African city, be more aligned, need to come together and more united. They need to move from a consumer mentality to a creator mentality. They need to be confident in what Africa is. And they need to study history. We need to know where we've come from, to know where we're going. And when people say that, people often think it's just a cliche. No, it is so that you do not make the same mistakes your fathers make. It is so that you're not doing something so little today, but hyping yourself that this is so great because you do not know that those before you have done greater. When you know that those before you have done greater, then your goal, the bar is set higher. 
and then you can unleash who you truly are and stop shrinking yourself, as Marianne Williamson says. So Africa is waiting for Africa. So Ghana to South Africa to Kenya, the competition is not about Jollof or it's not about women and leading to xenophobia. Or when I get to Kenya and they say, oh, your men come here to take our women. That's not the competition. The competition should be who is creating the next big thing in health, in education, in tech. Who is going to create something that the 1.2 billion people on Africa will buy from as opposed to going to be the largest users of Instagram or Facebook. Let us support and create things on the continent and patronize our own to be able to give our continent a chance. I thought that the last four years of Trump was a big opportunity for countries on the continent to rise up and be independent. But, I, but it seems like that was a lost opportunity. But the future is still big, bright, and bold. And I hope that every young African listening to me, and not just young African, but everyone around the world, Africans at large, mm. will realize that we are all water to the continent. The continent needs water, needs resources. So everywhere you are, send something home, something to develop the young people, to help education, to help uh, healthcare, because it's only in this continent that we're truly number one. Adebola Williams, head of Red for Africa. Thank you so much. That was inspirational and a great fun. Thank you. You're a friend. Thank you. Thank you.